everyone. Welcome back to Commitment Matters. We're happy to bring you part two today of my conversation with Lisa Walden. Now, if you heard part one of Lisa, then you've no doubt been waiting to hear the rest of it, and I won't keep you from it. Other than to say, if you haven't yet listened to part one, press pause and grab the episode from April 11th. Listen to that first so that you're ready to swing in today's episode in full gear when we cover generations in the workplace, fairness, the paying of dues, and the campsite rule. Producer Kat has once again linked great material for you in today's show notes. And Lisa said she would be happy to chat if you'd like to reach out. So with that, please enjoy the second half of a great time I had talking with the woman who knows how to make your workplace better, the intuitive Lisa Walden. I don't want to be harping on the generational thing, but because it is your background, I I always yeah. I'm thinking of everything sort of through that lens. And I'm one of the questions that later career workers of certain generations can have is, well, why do I need to adjust in the workplace? So like they can hear that argument and go, oh yeah, sure. Human to human when I'm out in the world. Yeah. That, that makes much more sense is find out what's currency to this person. And I don't mean that in a transactional way, but find out what's important to them. So you yeah. can work, work within those parameters. And I think some of the places that older generations will rub up against is, but why do I have to do that at work? Because when many of us entered the workplace, the golden rule was towards the boss, meaning, and not just one person, but sort of the, those that had merited, we kind of all did it their way. We tuned to them. And then, you know, you were talking about the deal was supposed to be when you graduated college, and then it turned out to be a very different deal. And we're having some of that too, because the deal was for all that tuning to the superiors in your early career, by the time you were mid an upper level, then it would be your golden rule and people would defer to you. And, you know, we got to this stage in our career and kind of it was the the record needle sliding across the record. Oh, wait, no change. And and now we need to find out who the uh, three week employees are as people so we can deal with them as people, which is, of course, the right answer. It's just a different paradigm than when we showed up and we had been on the job for three weeks. So this is a huge a huge thing that I am sort of dealing with right now when I enter organizations and speak to people. And in fact, Hannah and I were just talking the other day about this theme, this concept that we're really going to be doing a lot more work on coming up, which is we've noticed there is a huge chasm between people who are in positions of leadership, which are often older generation, you know, generations, Gen X, boomers, and employees, a huge chasm, something like we have not seen in years. And it's such a different perspective on all kinds of things on in office versus being at home, on what appreciation means, on what work ethic looks like, on what being a good employee looks like. Sometimes we'll speak to leadership and they're like, everything is great. We have an awesome workplace. We'll speak to the employees. They're like, this is the most toxic place I've ever worked. So there is just a massive disconnect happening. We're trying to understand where it's coming from. I do think that the turmoil of the last three years has created a lot of questions, a lot of questioning. Uh, mm-hmm. So I think that may be a key key source for for that for where that's coming from. But so yeah, this is super a super interesting thing. And I can't recall or not if I spoke about work life harmony, but work life harmony being that idea of 
work and life can coexist in harmony. The one supports the other. By by stepping away from one, we actually enrich the other. It's kind of like integration, but really thinking how can these two pieces of our life really support each other. And when I speak on that, I, I will often get massive pushback, massive pushback from people in leadership positions who say, that's not what I was told. That's not what I did. I worked my butt off ever mm-hmm. since I graduated college or ever since I entered the workplace. I paid my dues. These kids, they don't want to pay their dues. They just want to come in. They're so entitled. They're so narcissistic. They want to come in and they want to have it their way. And they want things to be just amazing and, you know, like just whatever from the get-go. That's mm-hmm. not fair. That's mm-hmm. not fair. That's the phrase I keep hearing. Mm-hmm. That's not fair. And the thing, the thing about that is they're not wrong. It's not fair. <laughs> like that, I, that is a statement I can't dispute. It is not fair. And that's the title of your book. And I, I swear, if you solve this one, it'll be a TED Talk because, <laughs> because that's true. We do have some of those questions and some of the emotions behind it. But also what's so funny about that phrase is that's exactly when we hear it from a younger generation person, when they say that's not fair, we roll our eyes. But we're all, mm-hmm. we're both arguing mm-hmm. the same point. It's not fair. Yeah. You're so right. It's so funny too, because I remember I, ever since I was a little kid, I was very obsessed with fairness and justice. Like, I don't know why it was something I was obsessed with from being mm-hmm. like a five-year-old. Mm-hmm. And I would, when something wasn't fair, I would tell my dad, I'd say, that's not fair, dad. It's not okay. And his response, <laughs> his response was always, life's not fair. Yeah. Hard cheese. Yeah. Life's not fair. Yeah. And and it, it infuriated me. And mm-hmm. he's he's not wrong. And yet we can have that fact, that that understanding that life is not fair and still work to make it better and work to make it more fair and work to make it more just. And so, you know, I think that every generation has kind of experienced their their life's not fair moment and their message that they were sold, their contract that they signed that ended up being absolutely, you know, false. <laughs> yeah. Yep, exactly. So, you know, boomers, Gen Xers, they they feel like they paid their dues to get to the top, to be treated like a boss, to be given that deference, to be given those things that they saw their traditionalist leaders have. And now kids are saying, no, <laughs> you don't you don't get deference because you're in a position of authority. You earn my respect right. as a as a boss. And leaders are like, what in the heck is that like that? How dare you say that to me? Right. <laughs> and like for millennials, we were told by our parents, many of them baby boomers, by the way, chase your passion, do a job that you love, get a career. You want to get a degree in, for example, me, comparative religion in art history. Do it. You do you. Well, now we're burdened by hundreds and thousands of dollars of student debt, and we're not living the life that we were sold. So every generation has experienced their, like, this is not fair kind of situation kind right. of moment. In fact, in a, in a generational presentation I gave, a Gen Zer came up to me, and he was talking. He was like, so much of what you said resonated. And it's really funny that you say, you know, these Gen Z kids are looking at Truly kids. I don't mean that in a, in, you know, yeah. like early 20s. I mean like teenagers and stuff. Yeah. They, they look at mil- millennials and they say, you know, I'm not going to do what you did. I'm not going to be dumb. I'm not going to be going to these fancy, super expensive colleges and racking up hundreds of thousands of dollars in student debt. I'm not going to be getting, quote unquote, impractical degrees. I'm going to be smart. I'm going to be practical. I'm going to do it the way it's supposed to be done. And he said, you know, I, I did that. 
And I, I did judge you millennials. I was like, what dummies? Like, look what they did and look where they are. I'm going to do it differently. 2020 rolls around mm-hmm. and I'm graduating and I did everything the way that was supposed to be done. And in one short month, my entire life turned upside down. And I learned that no matter how much you plan, no matter how practical you are, no matter how much you try to control your circumstances, control is not a real thing. And I was humbled so quickly. And now I have so much more compassion for millennials and where millennials are at because, you know, the world doesn't function the way we think it does. And we're taught those hard lessons. And I think Gen Zers learned it very early on. So, so anyway, all of this is to say that every generation gets sold a false promise. And I think that as I talk to, you know, my, my boomer and my Gen X clients who, who have that perspective of, this is not fair. I paid my dues. Why won't, you know, I walked uphill both ways to work barefoot when I was their age, right? <laughs> that kind of a message. Yep. I, I I have so much compassion for that perspective. And I understand, and I understand that feeling of this is not fair. And why, why do they get this way that get to have it this way? And my, my response is, first of all, to validate those feelings, I see where it's coming from. They're not wrong. And why would we want to create environments where people have to go through the same hardships we did. Why? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just why cut? wouldn't <laughs> just because, because, yeah. because I did, you do too. Like it, that because, to me, that if doesn't they answer it. They'll say, because I had to, that's the language they will use because I had to, well, was it such a picnic? No, it wasn't a picnic, but it made me who I am today. Well, what if we could just fast forward to the, who I am today part and maybe you can, and maybe you can't that, you know, ex- experience has a lot to do with it, but I love that you made the point that those Gen Z kids learned some of the things in life very early that a lot of times it takes us into our 50s and 60s to where we have, usually it requires somebody in your life or yourself having some major health event to kind of wake you up. We all got it with the pandemic, but think about getting that lesson at age 14, 15, 16. And what would your attachments be? And what would your frivolities be? What would your priorities be? That's a fascinating concept. Absolutely. The the context in which we grew up as teenagers shapes who we are as adults. Not again, not a hundred percent. It's the lens, but it's a it's a big lens that shapes how we see the world. So understanding why Gen Z are thinking the way they do about work, why millennials think the way they do about work. My experience with my dad is a huge reason why I have a different perspective on work. Gen Xers have their own story. Boomers have their own story. I think understanding that for every single generation, not just the younger ones, that is what gives us more tools in our compassion toolbox. I think it's really important. Mm -hmm. And then also just in terms of thinking about, okay, so it's not fair. Why do they want this? You know, why are they so entitled? For me, it's on every single one of us to sort of treat work and treat the workplace with the the campfire rule concept. So, you know, the campfire rule is when you show up to a, a campsite, you want to leave it just as nice or better than you found it. And for yeah. me, it's that or better than piece that I'm really focusing on. So if we show up to a campsite and it's trashed, we clean it up. We're not going to re-trash it. You know, we're, we're going to leave yeah. it clean for the next people. and And that's how it should be. So as leaders who've inherited a work world where maybe they had to work their butts off or pay their dues in a, in a certain specific kind of way. Might we not want to take this position of impact that we have and make it better for the people that come next, right? 
Like yeah. that's that's generosity mindset. That's that's giving back to to who comes behind us and who is taking our place. And that's the way the world should should go, right? We should be continuously improving upon um, what we have inherited. So for me, can we act on that generosity piece and say, I did pay my dues. It was tough. And make, can I make it a little bit easier for the people coming next? And can I also, you know, it's not just, it's not also just one way of, oh, we're going to do everything exactly the way that they want because that's what they need and that's what they want. No, of course, there needs to be some bending and some compromise. But I do think the direction the workplace is going in, the things that people are asking for is more humane human work. That is not a bad thing. To mm-hmm. humanize our work, to really reprioritize our personal lives. And and the the funny thing is, which we talked about earlier, is by doing that, by having, you know, being more protective of our personal lives and really investing in our personal experiences outside of work, it makes work better. <laughs> it makes people better at their work. So it's actually a net positive overall. So I think sitting with those feelings of it's unfair, it is. And thinking, okay, but how can I how can I create a better space and place for the people that come behind me is critical. And also, I think it's really important. I say this to my clients who are, are stuck in that mm, that that place of anger or resentment. You don't want to blockbuster yourself, right? Because mm-hmm. we are thinking about, and you're you're thinking about in this industry that you know you talked about the silver tsunami and how. You need to attract more younger people into your work environments. And there's this big transition that's looming in the next, you know, few years. Well, do you think you're going to be able to achieve a successful succession plan if you doggedly adhere to the things that you believe in right. <laughs> as a boomer and Xer? And again, it's it's not super fair, but it's the way the world is. It, we're all competing for for talent right now, for younger talent. And the only way to be competitive is to craft work environments that they want to be a part of. So it does require us to not be like blockbuster, you know, we're going to stick to the, this is the way it is. It's never going to be different. We have to think outside the box. We have to evolve in order to remain competitive in a very, very competitive labor market. So there's, you know, multiple dynamics at play here. Well, I have to confess to you, I did have one agenda for this conversation before we started. And I put it on my notes here, at the very end, Gen Z book question mark, because I wanted to lobby you to write that because we, our workplaces <laughs> need it. And, you know, when I think about it, so like when the millennials, I can say y'all, I think when y'all showed up in the workplace, we were like, huh, we knew your brains worked differently. We knew you were a little, little more digitally native than we certainly were, but we also still understood at least most social things. When the iPod came out, I remember reading a couple articles of, oh my gosh, here I am, my, you know, 45-year-old dad and the 10, 12-year-old kid have the same music on their iPods. What generations would that ever have happened in before? This is so cool. I mm. certainly didn't listen to my, uh, you know, my dad's big band music, whatever. Oh my gosh, that was great. And then, and even movies, we had those same cultural references we had each, I think, our own lane that that didn't intersect, but a good 60, 70, 80% of it did intersect. And so we had those things in common that we could find our way toward each other. I'm really just beginning to appreciate how you guys are sandwiched in between. Unless you have Gen Z aged kids in your life daily, I'm telling you, we don't understand anything about each other. And you guys are sitting in the bridge in the middle. So, Lisa, you're going to have to solve this problem for us. 
<laughs> okay, noted, noted. Our next book will be on on solving or bridging that gap between between the generations as millennials. Oh man, it's such a funny thing because millennials are we're in in a very interesting space in that I feel like we were really bullied <laughs> in a way by the media when we yes. first entered the workplace. You were picked on. You we were. We definitely were. I mean, and we were, it was really, it was really kind of an unfair setup for for us because we entered the workplace when the internet was becoming the internet, right? Mm-hmm. It was when we start, you know, the the early 2000s, like when the internet, you know, really, really, really like found its way into our lives and we got smartphones and all of that and media. And, you know, we were bombarded by this spotlight when we were learning to navigate the work world. So we yeah. really got that critical eye. And now... <laughs> For for some reason, the the I don't know if it's like Gen Xers talking to their Gen Z kids or what, but Gen Z is really the where the ire is coming from the bottom up. Usually, it's the youngest generation that gets piled on, but now the Gen Zers seem to be doing it to millennials for some reason, and I don't totally understand the yeah. dynamic of why. But it is kind of an interesting thing that it doesn't seem to be like oh those Gen Z kids. It's like no, the critical eye is still on millennials for some reason. There is that Gen Z child to Gen X parent kind of a thing. So, you know, boomers and millennials kind of are connected in that way. And mm-hmm. Gen Xers and Gen Zers are too. But yeah, they're they're quite different. So people tend to bucket millennial and Gen Z into the same thing. I think people think millennial is interchangeable for anyone under 35, which is, right. it's not true. It's a, it's a moving bracket. So the oldest millennials are like 42 at this point. And people are like, what? A millennial can be 42? Yes, because yes. the age bracket moves as we age, right? So Gen Zers... They're very different. I mean, very different in the sense that they had very different experiences in their formative years. And the pandemic is a huge one. And and the way that their Gen X parents raised them is another. So Gen Z, Gen Z is quite interesting. And they they are a generation that has truly, truly, truly come of age with the internet. Millennials, we didn't get that. We experienced the wild, wild west of the internet. Mm-hmm. We saw a lot of different pieces of hardware emerge, right? Mm-hmm. I remember having a phone where I played Snake and had to like yeah. learn T9 to yeah. the like pink flip phone razor situation mm-hmm. to the first iPhone to now the iPhone 14. Gen Zers, most of them have only ever known a smartphone and they have yeah. not changed that greatly since they came out. Right. And so they've experienced these really quick trends. They've experienced a lot of bullying on online and and the cyberbullying dynamic. They have always had access to to Google, to YouTube, to you know. I need to my my sink is clogged. How do I unclog it? Mm-hmm. Google that. Yeah, you get a YouTube tutorial. So they've always been able to find that information right, um, right away. So yeah, they're they're super interesting. And I yeah, there's a lot of work left to be done because they're still in their formative years. But certainly, I think a I think a lot of People in the professional sphere are very interested to learn who mm-hmm. who are Gen Z, like who are why are Gen Z folk the way that they are, and and what are their what are how are they going to be showing up in the workplace? It's a great yeah, question. It is. I I can't wait to read that book because, to your point, to kind of bring that thread all the way through. Yes, especially our industry, we do have a silver tsunami. Once we locate people and compete for for them. First thing we need to figure out is why they would want a career in this industry. Well, that's not the right question to ask because they're probably not thinking about careers in industries 
They're probably thinking yeah. about a culture and a workplace that I can enjoy and learn something and make some money. And But even the language we use doesn't resonate. Well, let me tell you why. You've never heard about a career in the title insurance industry, but by golly, it's amazing. Oh, we've lost right there, haven't we? It's so true. I mean, I even just think about the interactions I've had with Gen Z people in my circle. Mm-hmm. One one reached out to me. And, and of course, there's a layer of people know what I do, so they reach out to me for very specific things. But one, one Gen Z woman that is part of my circle here in Salt Lake reached out and said, can you just tell me the names of organizations that treat people well? Like, that's all, like, I'll do any kind of work, but I just want to work somewhere where they they really respect and value their employees. That was her ask of me, is just wow. tell me the name of organizations that do this. And then my sister, who she is, she's a she's an early millennial, so she's a younger millennial. Um, she's not quite a cusper with Gen Z, but she's, she's close to there. She was recently looking for a new job, and she isn't a specific career track, but for her, her one of her main things was, Will I be offered flexibility? Simply that. Will I will I have the option for flexible work? And she got in. She was talking to my dad. She was sharing this this um, job application journey, and she had an offer from an organization that almost doubled her salary when she at her previous work environment because she's left now, but almost doubling her salary. And she was telling my dad about it, and she said, "But I have to be in the office five days a week, and there's no flexibility." And he was like, oh, well, that sucks, but what an amazing offer. Like, I'm so excited for you. And she That's was what like, we call I'm, work. I'm not. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. And she was like, I'm not taking it. No, right. And right. he said, what? You don't have another job offer. She said, yeah, but I'm not, ta- I'm not taking that. That's, that's not what I want. That's not what's most important to me. I want that flexibility. It's changed my life and I'm wow. not giving it up. That's not what I want. And he was shocked. He came, he, he was like, he could not wait to come and tell me about it. He was like, Lisa guess what Karen did? And he told me, and I was like, well, yeah. He was like, what do you mean? Well, yeah, this is incredible. The kids these days, I just think so. Of course he calls us kids because he's our dad, but he was just absolutely flabbergasted. He could not wrap his mind around it. It did not make any sense whatsoever, Mm -hmm. but the way they're talking about thinking about seeking out, searching for careers is so different than what we've Mm -hmm. seen in the past. So yeah, I mean, that's a great realization of even just how we talk about what they're looking for, how we recruit them, all of those things need to be done from their perspective in order to really be successful in attracting them to your industry. Well, and I know we have to land this plane, and I'm sorry because I could talk with you all afternoon, but you see that that disconnect, the complete lack of understanding, and yes, a little snobbery around it, a little by some of supposedly the brightest minds we know, and I'm, I'm thinking back, oh, Two or three months ago, Elon Musk was basically tweeting out to his employees. I'm paraphrasing, but basically, if you want to pretend to work all day, you can do it somewhere else. And that was meaning he's going to bring everybody back in the office. You're going to you're going to be there for your work schedule all week. By the way, all of us that kept working remotely for the past three years did had our productivity levels were the same or higher. So we proved when it was necessary, we could do it. And also, I have to think if you're especially a, a Gen Z worker and, you know, your work experience started sometime around 2020, you'd be thinking, well, wait a minute now. <laughs> when you needed us to keep working remotely, we did. We figured it out. We got better. We got more productive. And then now that that's changed, I'm just supposed to say, OK, well, that was over and I'll I'll come back to being on campus 50, 60 hours a week. That has to seem a little head scratchy for especially a younger worker. 
first of all, I think Elon Musk is a perfect example of what not to do. I'm just going to say that. I don't think that the things, the decision he has made in leading his workforce are sound at all, truly. It's been somewhat horrifying to see (laughs) the decisions that he has made. I do believe that to my core, and I have heard this from my research from talking to other leaders and other employees in the working world, quote unquote, bad employees, or let's say disconnected absentee employees will find a way to not do their work whether it's at home or in person, mm-hmm. they will. I cannot tell you how many people show up to an office and find a way to mm-hmm. do absolutely nothing. They will find a way, whether it's at home or in the office. That's why I can't, I can't remember if I walked you all through the boss to coach shift, but good leaders manage trust, not time. Mm-hmm. Good leaders are not trying to monitor your time spent on a computer when you're working remotely. They monitor how much, how your relationship, how open you are with one another, the work that you're doing, the progress that you're showing, that is what good leadership does. And, and you know, a lot of organizations, leaders, people told employees, you can't work, you couldn't possibly work from home. Our business doesn't lend itself to that. Our industry doesn't work that way. We showed that that was not the case in a lot of different scenarios. So right. you can't put the toothpaste back in the tube. You can't say that's not how it works, period. Okay, wait, it did work. Okay, but... Never mind, we don't want it to work like that or it can't work like right. that anymore. It's it's not it's not going to work, okay? So I think that that question is is just going to be a huge one. A lot of people are returning to the office, but I it is so interesting to talk to to people about this. I remember I was speaking to one leader who said it was an interview for a presentation I had. I asked her the question of how has productivity fared, you know, since you started working from home and she was like, "Oh, better than it's ever been." I was like, mm-hmm. "Okay, I don't ask this in a facetious way, I told her. It's truly not facetious. I, I, my genuine question for you is, you know, you were, you were mentioning that, oh, it's just that I don't know if people are doing their work or if they're walking their dog or if they're doing a load of laundry. And so my question to her was, I, I genuinely want to know your answer to this. Does it matter if people are doing their laundry or their dishes or whatever if the productivity levels are just as high if not higher than they've ever been before. Do, I, and it's truly not a facetious question. I, I want to know, is that something that that matters? And she was quiet. And then she said, well, I guess that's the question, isn't it? And yeah. Yeah. Do you know, she, she sort of didn't really have an answer to that. So, so it, it goes back to the, are we just trying to manage in the way that we used to manage? You know, somebody else I spoke to was like, we keep trying to manage people the way that we did 30 years ago, but we don't even send faxes anymore. You know, why are we trying to use management methods when the way that we work has changed completely? It's just, and the people who are working have changed. It just doesn't make any sense. So why are we trying to, to manage this time thing and to manage people so strongly? Why aren't we trusting them to be good workers? And, and in fact, many of the statistics showed that people who are working virtually end up doing more work and working more hours than people who are in the office. So in a lot of cases, you're getting actually a lot more out of them. And I don't think that's good. That's why I talk to a lot of people on boundaries and really, you know, figuring out how to uh, design your workday so that you're not crossing those lines and overworking. So the problem often lies exactly in the other other way. But it is, it's such a huge question. A lot of people think we're just going to revert back to in-office. I think that a lot of in-office will happen But I think hybrid is here to stay. I think virtual work is here to stay. And I think that as 
millennials start stepping into positions of leadership, that that's going to be more and more prevalent. But I do think in office is important. I do think options for in office. Mm -hmm. So one thing that you mentioned about, you know, Gen Z who entered the workplace mostly virtual, right? That's mostly their experience of the professional world. And will they just, will they want that to be the status quo moving forward? Interestingly enough, I have spoken to some Gen Zers who have said, I started my job virtually. We're still virtual. I want that in-office experience. I want to know what it's like to go in an office. I want to understand, you know, what it means to interact in a professional setting in person. And that doesn't mean it has to be 100% in office, but if if the organization I'm with, which is 100% virtual right now, doesn't offer some in-office opportunities, I'm going to look for a new job. Right. So things are not always as they seem. You know, you'd assume that Gen Z would just want that virtual setting, but a lot of them are wanting that options for that in-person experience. So it's a complicated question. We will see what happens. A lot of people built huge offices in 2019, 2018, 2017 that they're wanting to use for me, it's a fallacy of sunk costs kind of situation, but it's a complicated question. So, yes, it certainly is. Well, and even, you know, as you were relating that conversation you had with that leader who, when you asked her, well, does it really matter if they're doing a load of laundry or walking their dog for 15 minutes if your productivity is the same or higher? And I, in her pause, I kind of tried to put myself in her shoes and I thought her pause was she's calculating with an old paradigm, but the question, and it's a, at least a 30-year-old question, is, well, does that mean I'm overstaffed? Do I have too much slack? And if mm. if I if I did a little one or two-person layoff, could I have the same productivity for less money? It's like, well, yeah, you could for about five minutes, but what's going to happen is you're going to up your employee turnover rate again because they're going to be less happy. Mm. So even that is an example of yeah. putting a 30-year-old paradigm over the top of a current situation and wondering why they don't reconcile. That is so interesting that your that your mind went to that place and that that makes so much sense. At a certain point it's like that desire to maximize to optimize we have to consider human beings, right? Mm-hmm. Technically you may be correct. From a human standpoint, what kind of dynamic are we creating? What kind of environment are we creating? Is this a sound strategy for the long term? Probably not. Maybe. I don't know. And that's as much a part of being refining our brains, which is a process, is I would think as much of a part of being a human first culture as is what people will think of first, which is, you know, ping pong tables and pizza parties. Yeah, that and that is the least of it. I mean, right. the ping pong tables, the pe- that that's become like a joke, a meme. Like, oh, yeah. massive burnout. Let's have a pizza, a staff pizza party. But right. the cheese pizzas, the pepperoni pizzas, they're not solving the burnout. They okay. they might be good in the moment, but they are not solving any problems. Right. Those things can be nice, and those can, things can help. But the the bigger picture is not even necessarily a bigger strategy. But it's it's. It's looking at the small things that make the workplace more human. So, you know, be showing appreciation, individualizing your approach, creating realistic work expectations so that people don't have to put 10-hour days to get the work done. Maybe they can do it in five hours and, you know, have three hours back to themselves. And maybe that's a good thing. Reframing how we think about that. Uh, having, you know, a psychologically safe environment. Leaders that are compassionate but hold you accountable at the same time. All of these pieces, I think, are are much more important towards building human-first workplaces than, you know, throwing in a ping-pong table. That is a a shiny thing that distracts us from the real core of, of the hard work 
and the important work. And, and it doesn't have to be huge, massive strategies. It can be just daily interactions and how we're showing up as human beings ourselves. It's fantastic. I've loved this conversation. Thank you so much. I can't wait to see both the next book about how work will be forever changed because of what we've been through in the last two or three years. And then, you know, I want to be first one to read that Gen Z book. (laughs) That Gen Z book. Okay. You got it, Mary. You'll be the first one we send it to. (laughs) Thanks for joining us. Thanks again, Lisa, for lending your clear-eyed solutions to us here at the pod. We do love your insights. Now, until next time, listeners, try to practice the campsite rule in everything you do, whether it's work, life, or in your relationships. How can you leave a meeting, a situation, a coworker, a friend, or relative in better condition than you found them? It doesn't have to be monumental, but what little positive thing can you add to each and every interaction? I mean, if you shoot for 100% of the time and only get it right half the time, just think about how much better everything and everyone around you would be. Be a multiplier, a builder, and a breath of fresh air rather than a divider. Be proud to invest in what you do because what you do really matters.